I've lost my benevolent mojo. Is this morning's sermon topic, handpicked by Mike Wessinger. He bought this sermon at Hope's auction that first fall, I was here a year and a half ago. So allow me to introduce you to Mike, since he doesn't attend here regularly, yet comes to various events to support us. Did you raise your hand? Woohoo! <clears throat> Maybe all you need to know about him is he and his son, J.D., spent several weeks in Romania bicycling hundreds of miles with the Jano Sigmund Unitarius Collegium. This Unitarian high school, Unitarian high school, cool, huh? (laughs) This Unitarian high school makes an annual trek every summer to learn Unitarian and Romanian history and to make their thighs sore and learn how to change flat tires. (laughs) And at All Souls, Mike is one of their active lay leaders. He currently serves on the Board of Trustees and recently completed their year-long leadership class, served as a youth advisor, and was on the children's choir board. Mike's son and my children sang in the choir together, and part of their choir program is an annual choir trip to a major city. So Mike and my husband Joe have bonded while planning these trips and traveling all over the country with 40 children or so. Nothing else will make you bond quite like that. (laughs) When you ride a long bus, bunk down in motels and hostels, and cope with crises on the road, like the bus that never showed up in the first place. And Mike runs a custom steel fabricating and welding company in Broken Arrow, Unigus. So I I tell you all this because I want you to know that Mike's sermon topic arises out of church life, out of industry, out of family life, and we'll use Mike as our everyman and his sermon title as a universal sentiment. His world has drained him of his altruism, so he proclaims, I've lost my benevolent mojo. And I hope you know his, one of his cultural references to mojo comes from Austin Powers. That groovy baby character, spoof of James Bond, who spent one entire movie looking for his mojo. He's lost it and has an existential crisis, not knowing who he is without his mojo. Mike is a very generous guy, so not feeling, he may not be feeling like himself when his benevolent mojo goes missing. I know that feeling. I feel like Scrooge. My heart is hardened. I'm indignant, and I'm tired. And I've heard many of you express similar discouragement and cynicism. Despite all of our generosity, of our time, our care, 
our best efforts despite our financial contributions. The object of our support, that other person or insolent child or deadbeat family member or unyielding partner, lazy employee, that boneheaded committee (laughs) or hard-headed minister or misguided church or stuck institution does not change. Why on earth aren't they taking advantage of our help? Or worse, why aren't they stepping up to help themselves? We can't do it all. We've offered a hand to help, help them get back up, but they're not grabbing hold. It's enough to send a benevolent mojo packing. Have you bought your child clothes or a toy, made a financial stretch to buy something really nice, and they don't take care of it? Have you loaned your sister money when she was in a pinch, loaned it more than once, really, and she hasn't paid it back yet or even thanked you? Have you helped in a project? You look around to see who's helping, and it's the same handful of people. You know everyone else is more than willing to enjoy the benefits of your efforts. Have you noticed someone using SNAP coupons, food stamps, in the checkout line while talking on the latest model smartphone, wearing designer jeans, and getting peeved because they are taking advantage of your hard-earned tax dollars. You're not alone. Proof we've been losing our benevolent mojos for a long time comes from that expression, you can make a horse, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And I had to look it up. This proverb has been in use since the 12th century. So for at least 800 years, people have been feeling the same way we do. I have a feeling there is some more ancient version of that. I've lost my benevolent mojo. I read that as a sign of exhaustion, of Compassion burnout. Okay, so we understand, Mike, you've lost your mojo. But his title doesn't tell us whether he wants it back. (laughs) (laughs) Or even if he needs it back. If helping other people doesn't really help, why bother? Is a lost mojo a problem? Initially, I thought my task here was to convince him, and by extension, all of us, to immediately, immediately take all the necessary steps to find that mojo. We need to run around like Austin Powers, warding off evil. Charity is an essential value. 
We need to rally our mind and hearts right away. And we must keep it with us at all times. Like lost keys or a stray wallet, this is a crisis. We can't move forward until we reclaim our benevolent mojo. Or instead, could lost benevolence be more like all those times we give up looking for something only to have it reappear days, weeks, even years later? Maybe we can't force finding our mojo. And what are we looking for anyway? Benevolence is such a charming, old-fashioned word. I picture the Benevolent Society in New England, you know, during its heyday of fishing and whaling. Each village collects money for a benevolent society to support the widows of sailors lost at sea. Benevolence means to wish good for others who have less. Uh, But the word has a dark cynical root originally a benevolence was a sum of money disguised as a gift extorted by various English kings historically forced loans were taken to finance the crown until Edward the fourth in 1473 discarded any pretense of repayment You must make a benevolence to the crown. Parliament tried to abolish them as new and unlawful inventions, but they were so effective. And for successive kings, for the next 200 years, they all required benevolences. So this kingly spin on generosity, extortion really, may be a great reason to let benevolence run off. When our charity has strings attached, then good riddance, benevolent mojo. When our benevolence reinforces an unhealthy power dynamic, those with means controlling those without means, good riddance. When our giving props up a sagging ego, so long, mojo. The hardworking son in Jesus' prodigal son parable has definitely lost his benevolent mojo. And I relate to that older son who's miffed with his father and younger brother. He's been steadfastly laboring out in the fields. I, too, I like results for my hard work and good deeds. Who doesn't? But then I begin to think and wonder what are his motives for staying home? Is he working to please his father? Is it just easier to stick around and do the work at hand? Does he have some 
narcissistic need to always be at the center of attention. He definitely has expectations of being celebrated and rewarded, not fully seeing what he already has. And I have felt the same way. I get trapped in a self-serving calculus of benevolence. One example I thought of, um, from time to time, I went through periods of resenting the sleep-deprived drudgery and isolation of caring for small children. My benevolent mojo was lost, hidden under dirty diapers and covered with spit-up. And I would fantasize a version of the Academy Awards for parents. We all deserve to be in the momentary spotlight, dressed to the hilt, accepting awards for the million of small things we did to care and love for our children. And sometimes it was the greatest performance and act. I wanted the ordinary to be recognized as extraordinary. When tired, I wanted that gold statue to elevate the accumulative daily unseen sacrifices given out of love. They should be recognized. They should be made monumental. And revving up my sagging benevolent mojo would require, I imagined, an influx of benevolent mojo from others, applauding, ooing, awing. Maybe lost mojo and compassion burnout are less about charity that goes unrecognized or about giving until you're exhausted, depleted, and more about our expectations of what that benevolent mojo should do. Should do. Anytime should is involved, an act of charity has strings attached to it. We're expecting a particular outcome or validation. And once we assume the outcome of our charitable acts... Maybe they cease being charity. The angry older son bellows, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet, you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with friends. Hear the, well, you should have, implied in his statement you never gave me a goat but you should have he thinks the world will be right and that he will be happy when others around him finally finally behave the way he wants including not only his father but his younger brother surely when they see things from his perspective they will act differently And he's being very human, trying to control what others do. He uses guilt for control. You, you never gave me a goat. 
Mike tells a story about an incident at church as one example of why he lost his mojo. And I'll generalize to avoid blame in a complex situation, and I don't have all the facts. But I have Mike's point of view, his version of the facts. And what he describes is such a familiar one to church life and to work life and to family life. Mike helped with a group of people preparing the float for Martin Luther King Parade. He volunteered. But the day of the parade, a whole different set of people actually rode the float. They hadn't helped it get ready. So my question is, was the float preparation set up with the understanding that those who worked are the ones who get to ride? And who's keeping score here? What are the metrics being used? Did everyone agree to them? Or is Mike's example the way of much volunteer work? Some can help with one part so others can partake. In the prodigal son, did the older son ever ask his father for a goat? Did he make the case that he'd been working hard and would his father consider throwing a party? Wouldn't that be fun? So what unspoken assumptions do we bring to our benevolence at hope? We spend time talking about transforming the world with our good deeds, but at times are we imposing our benevolent mojo, insisting on certain results? Do we communicate our expectations? Do we step back before being resentful? to recharge our batteries? Do we look at how a committee or project is set up to see what invisible strings or expectations are attached? If not, then we're building prisons of resentment for ourselves and the church. I've told you what the men and women in the Tulsa jail, the ones attending the series of behavior development classes, what they say at the end of each class, they say this terrific version of the serenity prayer. And it spells out so clearly how to correct our thinking about resentments of our own making. God, grant me the serenity to accept the people I cannot change. The courage to change the ones I can and the wisdom to know it's me. (laughs) The older son is complaining because he wants to change his father's response to his younger brother after the fact when the only person he can change in that situation is himself. He can reframe what his work means, or he can communicate what he wants to others. He has to accept he may not get what he wants, even though he communicates it, and then deal with that new reality. And then that parallel Buddhist 
story. It's a little different. Not two sons, but one. And my question is, is that father in the Buddhist story trying to change his lost son by surreptitiously, sneakily, sending someone to offer a job? This story seems less about accepting what you already have and more about that incremental pace of change. We don't know. The father offers anonymous charity, hoping the son will accept. I guess it didn't make it into the canon, or it made it into the canon because he did accept. We wouldn't know the story if he didn't. While in the Bible, the young son might have been transformed by his father's unexpected generous welcome home. That younger son, once he was welcomed home, may have gone on to be productive. The story ends there. We don't know. We'll never know. But what both stories do say is charity, benevolence to others, need not be deserved or earned. And when we spread our benevolence, we seldom know how our good deeds will flower. A lost benevolent mojo is one lost among the weeds of our expectations. So if I turn the tables and consider the ways I've been on the receiving end of benevolence and grace, I can see all the ways I've been helped by a generosity of spirit, forgiveness, material support, and didn't deserve it. There are countless instances of charity I will never even know about. I'm pretty sure my parents went through periods of resenting the sleep-deprived drudgery and isolation of caring for me and my parents, my siblings, the Buddhists remind us that we've been given one precious human birth at this point in time. We are here on this planet at this moment birthed by another human. This is unsolicited and undeserved charity in itself. So if you are walking or rolling, talking, reading, and a feeling adult, then countless family members, friends, teachers, and strangers have taught and socialized you. So step back to see the bigger picture, to see how much you're repeatedly the recipient of undeserved, benevolent mojo of others. Let go of expectations when you add your benevolent mojo to the flowing stream of life, Or if you have reasonable expectations, make them known. Be fair. Be transparent. Be honest. I actually do think Mike's sermon title implies he wants his mojo back. And as it turns out, Austin Powers wanted his mojo back and is reminded that he never really lost his mojo. 
It was always there all along. So is ours. Groovy, baby. (laughs) May it be so.